Hi there, and welcome to the Money Minutes. I'm Ross Greenwood. Thanks so much also for all of your support and encouragement that I've received via a range of different formats. Uh, Today, I think rather than just doing the the here and now, I want to take you on a little bit of a history journey. Uh, And indeed, I want to take you back 28 years. Uh, So this is a period of time, of course, when Australia is building up towards the recession. Uh, As Paul Keating said, the recession we had to have. Uh, But I want to take you to one particular company and just tell you about it. It was prompted, I've got to say, by one person who sent me a a message on on Twitter that said, look, Ross, this is very interesting information. I've personally been buying and selling shares, bank shares in particular for many years, and doing especially well on Westpac shares. I find even when times are tough, the banks are always solid and safe. And even in this crisis, everybody still uses a bank facility. Uh, I got to say, interesting note, uh, interesting observation, and that is, if you like, a uh, an understanding, an inherent understanding that most people have: the banks are always safe. The interesting side about this, as I see it, is I'm old enough to remember 1992, and in particular September 1992, when Westpac went to its shareholders to raise 1.2 billion dollars. The fact was, at the time, they only managed to raise. $400 million. And oddly enough, in history, in hindsight, this seems bizarre to think about it in these days, it was the AMP who stepped up and bought a lot of the shares, along with Credit Suisse, which was the underwriter of that rights issue. Very few of the individual shareholders or big institutions in Australia took up any of those shares in Westpac at the time. Now, the point was, at that point, Westpac had basically told shareholders that the worst was behind them, their future was rosy. And yet, within a month of that, four weeks later, they had big losses, unreported previously, of some $600 million. The result was, and I can read here from a piece that Ian Davis was the then finance editor of the Canberra Times wrote, and this goes forward from uh, basically September. We're now in around about December of 1992. And the headline basically says that uh, there's pressure. Packer raid puts heat on Westpac. Kerry Packer, Australia's wealthiest businessman, has staged a share a daring share market raid to pick up more than 8% of Westpac, Australia's largest bank. A string of disasters has left Westpac vulnerable to share raiders and even a possible takeover. Westpac's problem loans exploded to $9.26 billion. It was forced into massive property write-downs. Remember, this is just after the recession. The banks had all sorts of assets on their book that they didn't want to have and as a result had to sell them off cheap. I can remember even being fortunate enough during this period of time to have bought a property. I can't remember what the price was, $125,000 I think it was. The property had previously been worth probably four or five times that amount of money. This is how desperate they were to get assets off their books. In this case, we go on with Ian Davis from the Canberra Times. In December 1992, as Packer makes his raid, the company's share price is more than halved from more than $5.50 in early 1990 to $2.51. Effectively, what had happened was not only had the chairman, Eric Neal, resigned, but so too had three other board members. And this was partly as a result 
of one person, still around the place, a bloke called Gavin Solomon. Uh, he led a shareholder revolt in 1992, wanted the board to resign. Uh, he was all over the place. He's still going around the place at the moment, Gavin Solomon. Um, he's been involved in a business called Primary Markets. He says, even to this day, he's still buying uh, shares in Westpac. He wrote a piece in the Financial Review last year uh, in regards to the catastrophe of, of Westpac that led to, of course, uh, the resignation of not only Brian Hartzer, the chief executive, but also Lindsay Maxted, at that stage, probably the most powerful director in Australia. And this came as a result of all of those transgressions of Austrac, its investigation, and then what's going to happen with the shareholders subsequently. Now, do remember that here in Australia, it is considered that Australia has some of the best capitalised banks in the world. That's the reason why they've enjoyed some of the highest credit ratings in the world, along with, of course, the Australian government having a AAA credit rating. Now, that AAA credit rating is probably now questionable, given the more than $200 billion that the federal government has spent and borrowed or is spending and borrowing basically to overcome the impacts, the economic impacts of the coronavirus. Uh, but you now start to consider the banks themselves. Uh, effectively, what uh, APRA, the Australian Prudential Regulation Authority, has said early this year in March that over the past decade, the Australian banking system built up substantial capital buffers. The highest form of capital, the common equity tier one capital, reached $235 billion at the end of 2019. Now, interestingly enough, that APRA, at that time in March this year, as coronavirus started to pick up, they effectively have to have capital one, uh, sorry, rather common equity tier one capital ratios above 10.5%. Now, the actual banking system at the end of 2019, it was on average 11.3%. So they relaxed it a bit in order to allow the banks to continue to lend. And this is an encouragement now with coronavirus and economic downturn. If the banks stop lending because they're risk averse, then under those circumstances, of course, the economy will rapidly grind to a halt. So these are the encouragements you're seeing from politicians, central banks and others to keep them going. The real problem right now is, as my initial, you know, sort of, if you like, correspondent said, um, I've been buying shares and I find that even in tough times, they're always solid and safe. Do bear in mind that some of our banks already have cut their dividends simply because they're not going to be earning money, but they also want to preserve this capital. That's what dividends are all about. If you don't pay dividends, you're preserving capital. And so the important side of this is just to bear in mind that we have not seen the worst of the economic situation that we're going to go through. This is what I've been explaining to you. It doesn't happen until maybe later this year or even beyond. And indeed, in talking to some very senior business people in the past few days and senior former politicians, they have got grave fears as to what Australia looks like you know, in 2021 and beyond. Now, the one thing about this is it's the banks that carry the can. And the reason is because they've got the lending out there. If businesses do go broke and there are bad loans out there, it's not the government that carries that, it's the banks. And this is the reason why, until you start to see the recovery in business, why, but until you start to see business getting back to normal, foreign students coming in, borders being opened up, and it's going to be very difficult on the banks. 
And that's the reason why those capital buffers that they have are so important right now. The worst case scenario would be, like in 1992, that a rights issue fails in the sort of spectacular fashion that it did for Westpac at that stage. But do not believe for a moment there's not an issue that banks in the future might need to raise more capital, or indeed that banks and management might be more vulnerable in the future. As I say, whenever you think that you've you know, sort of taken something as, if you like, for granted to a certain extent, it is simply a fact of life that banks are strong and around the place, you've also got to remember as well that there is precedent not that long ago in our lifetimes, 28 years ago, where banks really were not so questionably strong. And that really is the story of Westpac. 1992, Kerry Packer, of course, he sold out that stake ultimately, sent in Al Chainsaw Dunlap to try and fix up the problems. He walked away eventually and a bloke called Bob Joss came in. And his message was, if it's broken, then fix it. If it's not broken, then break it and fix it after that. In the case of some of our banks, maybe that message might be as true today as it was 28 years ago. Have a great day. We'll talk soon.